Welcome to this month's edition of Here's the Thing. I am absolutely delighted that I have somebody I went to school with on the podcast this month. David, you're very welcome to Here's the Thing. Thank you. Thanks for asking me. It's been 20 years, I think, maybe, since we've directly had a conversation. Yeah. Oh, you've seen me a couple of times, maybe, in yeah. the supermarket or whatever. But... Here, we need to talk about Liverpool before before we talk about anything else. Um, In the last 20 years since we've left school, what do we leave school at, like, 2000 and three or four 2003 so Istanbul obviously we've got what other memories have got since the last time we've had a conversation um well I was in I went to Liverpool in 2005 the yeah. other than Bourse September so obviously I missed the, the Istanbul but that next May the FA Cup final against West Ham the Gerrard and I won Gerrard right at the end and we ended up winning that one so I was in a pub in Liverpool for that um and uh I remember then there was going to be a, I think it was a rugby parade the next day. Yeah. Um, and uh, unfortunately, I went out on the, on the rip yeah. far, far, far too much and stepped in and missed it. Oh, man. Yeah. Mate, uh, what about Klopp coming along? Because when Klopp came along, I felt like the Brendan Rogers regime had just died to death. He had brought us so close to the Holy Grail in the Premier League, and then Klopp came along. Remember whenever he said, um, I want to change just from doubters to believers. That's it. Yeah. Grand I think he's a, a very likable guy, like yeah. right from the start, you know. And he said all the right things, I think, to get the fans on board. Um, and then it's been an incredible journey. What's your what's your favorite club member thus far? Um Yeah, I'm gonna say a really weird one here, because I think you're gonna go for bigger honors. But I remember, do you remember, all the mics are turning off right now listening to us here, but uh, do you remember whenever we came back, mate, and beat Dortmund that night? And yeah. And everyone scored that header, mate? Yes. And Klopp went crazy wearing a white dress. Yes. Yeah, I'm just going to throw that out there. I know there's been bigger honours, but yeah. that night was just nuts because I thought we were getting hammered. No, it was his, his reaction whenever that goal went was Do you remember that? Standing. But I have to say, like, I, I, I love it whenever he does fist pumps to the crowd at the end. Yeah, I'm doing you know, it. And bangs his heart like it's... Absolutely. It's amazing. But he is, he's transformed the whole, especially on quite a little budget. Like, people that uh, know me and follow my Facebook posts would say that I always go on about the net spam. But uh, the net spam that what he's achieved. Yeah, I'll follow Phenomenal. You know, he's such a a motivator and seems to get the best out of all the players and and pre-flyers, which is important too. Here, let me start by asking you about you. So, obviously, you and I know each other. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up, I, as you know, are Mandarin born, born and bred. Tell yeah. us, tell us about where you were born, primary school. Even tell us when when your love for Liverpool started. Um, so I was born probably about hundred meters from from where we're sitting. Um, I think it was one of the last actually to be born down in Mazarin, where Tesco's car park now is. Um, first lived in Callside. My mum and dad sort of split up whenever it was maybe about five or six, I think. And then we moved over in the park hall and then in the in the stable. Me and my mum and uh, my sister. Um, I went to Park Hall primary and then I went down the undergrammar, obviously, and then that's... Did you play in a football team at Park Hall Farm? Um, I did, but I wasn't... Prolific, were you? I wasn't prolific, no. I, <laughs> I could actually remember, I, I, I think it was only like sort of usually in the subs bench in primary school. But I remember that uh, one game I got to be the penalty, penalty taker. 
and uh, I was diving all over the show to try and get a penalty. <laughs> I'd, I'd always stuck in my, in my head, but I never got it. And then I think um, once I sort of went down in the grammar, got into the cricket, yeah, that's when I sort of stuck out and played. Similarly. What, looking, looking back at our time in the grammar, what sticks out for you in the time we were there? Um, I, looking back on now, you know, there were, there were good times. You know, I think that the year that we were in was, was a pretty good year. Um, the guys that I sort of knew and was friendly with, you know, were, were good friends at the time. Um, teachers, most of them, you know, were sort of dead on. And one thing that I sort of liked about it is, you know, it was, I was always worried whenever I was in primary school about maybe going to a high school or whatever and bullying and stuff, maybe getting bullied and stuff. And I thought, well, I was thankful whenever I got into the grammar because I was thinking, well, maybe at a grammar school, there might be much bullying that goes on. And, you know, well, I was right. Yeah. I personally sticks out. I don't know if he listens to the podcast, probably not. And um, personally sticks out to me from the grammar is Mr. Gardner. And I, I mentioned on a previous podcast, I started to notice with my own mental health that I was having sort of low moods in secondary school. And I would have, I always remember Mr. Gardner saying to me, you can wait behind after class, class and have a chat. And that at the time was a really scary concept to stay behind after class, not to be in trouble. Yeah. What they actually say to Mr. Gardner, I remember this day that I told him that I was struggling, I was feeling low in the mornings. And I remember he said to me, Could you can call me John? And I remember thinking to myself, what a treat, mate. We were in fifth year at school and we had to say sir or Mr. Gardner. I remember he yeah. said, call me, call me John. And he followed me up so much in the lower sect and upper sect. He used to, he used to like, he used to like walk past me in the corridor in the top corridor in the school and he used to just put his thumbs up or thumbs down to me as if to say you're doing good or you're doing bad and then if I put my thumb down he would have said to me call in and see me like so I, I echo what you say like in terms of in terms of being supported not only by a good year that we had and the crack that we had yeah. and the chat about I mean basically all we did for five slash seven years was talk about football yeah, um, and talk about why we couldn't play football in school um, I, I felt that the teachers we had in the school were, were really caring and I'm I'm glad that I, I've connected with a few of them since. Um, so I, I agree. Um, after school, I took a year out because I had no idea what I wanted to do and I'm sitting here nearly 39, mate, and I'm um, a wee bit unsure what I want to do Just still. But, um, okay. When we left school, and I suppose when you and I left, lost contact, we were... Tell, tell us about life after school. And it's not only that we're on a podcast. I would ask you this if we're out in the country. Yeah. Um, tell us about life after after the grammar. Okay, so whenever I was sort of in the upper sixth year, um, the guy that I knew well from the cricket club, he was the owner at the time of Video Cities. Um, and he had one in Nottingham, so he gave me a wee part-time job um, down, down in that there. So I was sort of where whenever I sort of began drinking properly. Um, and I remember sort of missing... Um, even a couple of like A-level exams so I, once I finished and left the grammar then I didn't really know what like you said I took the year I didn't know what to do um, and then I, I ended up going to Liverpool in the following year and the reason basically for that I went to Liverpool because I support Liverpool and the reason that I wanted to go to university was because I had seen sort of pictures and whatever else of, and heard about the good times that guys that had went to uni we're having and I thought, you know, well, I work on this sort of 
crabby job I'm not enjoying it, not getting paid too much for and why should I not be over there having the crack and having the battle there and getting fist every night. So that's whenever I went I decided to go over to Liverpool then and What was it like? As you say, you grew up born hundred metres from where we're sitting here in my dad's house. Like, what was it like leaving Antrim? Were you excited? Were you were you nervous? Were you just like happy days? I've got myself into uni you know, life starts here. How, how did you feel moving to work? Because I, I suppose chickened out and went to Queen's yeah. just drove up every day, so I didn't really have that experience. But what's it like packing your stuff in Antrim and moving your life to Liverpool? Um, I suppose it was a mixture of being being nervous but being excited at the same time. Um, the first sort of week or two, you know, what I did struggle. I was really missing home and missing my mum and stuff. Um and then she sort of broke her heart the day that I was leaving <laughs> and then I was sort of thinking to myself well you know maybe if I came home um, she would be happier then too but uh, you know once I got to know people and the guys again that I was then in the sort of halls with and the girls you know were there was quite a lot over from Northern Ireland which was good um, I got to know them pretty well and they were good good people we were able to support each other because we're all in the same boat. We're all away from home, sort of, for the first time. I mean, in those days, how hard was it to get a ticket? Well, <laughs> it's even like wheeling and dealing. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was very, very difficult to even get tickets then. I even went to a couple of Everton matches, believe it or not, just, just to go and watch football. And they were easier to get tickets. But uh, nobody goes. Yeah. <laughs> but there was a, well, that's it. That's a treat. There's always tickets available for Everton. Like, and the stadium's not that nice either, to be honest, because there's always pillars no matter where you're sitting. You can never get a clear feel of pitch, but um, nah, to be honest, I didn't even go that many Liverpool matches while I was there. It was mainly the, um, maybe the League Cup, the FA Cup or something against the lower league teams that I would have got tickets for. When it's hard to get. Although towards the end of my time in Liverpool, um, a couple of guys that I got to know where you would get me the odd ticket here and there. But at that time as well, you know, it was either 40 or 50 quid for a ticket, or to me that was the fairly beer and that uh the the, the beer usually one thinking I'm not gonna watch it in the bar, you know, and drink and I'll have to work out the money for the tickets. Is that when is that when alcohol took over in your life? Um were, were you aware that it was? Or were you unaware that it was? You just living in the moment as a student? Well, yeah, like even I can go back sort of to whenever I first left school and that year out. The first job that I got whenever I left school, I lasted six weeks and I missed four Mondays and the f- reason I missed the four Mondays was I was out um, getting I was getting paid on a Friday and I was hitting the, the drink hard all weekend like um, and not went in on a Monday or going back out on a drink on a Monday so back then there was there was signs and there was my family maybe saying to me you know like you're drinking too much you need to sort of cut that in the head um, and that was maybe part of the reason too why I wanted to, to go away was that I would be able to drink and party like I wanted to without anybody telling me that they shouldn't be doing it or telling me that I was doing it too much yeah so in Liverpool was it as you imagined or was it just a was it just a blank check of endless parties and- well that's it like I you know I the thing about it was you like, three, t- three times a year I think the one was you got this big lump sum of cash um, and I just hit it hit it hard like it was student nights every night of the week and there's always ones going out from our halls um, you know and I was always there you know always there um and uh yeah that's whenever the drinking really did take off and 
did you fear the hangovers? Did you just cope with the hangovers? Or no. See, the hangovers, I was always riddled with pure anxiety and dread and everything else with hangovers, even right from the start. So, you know, my way of, of, of dealing with hangovers was to get back on the drink. There's two or three drinks, you know, later to use the, that anxiety and the dread and the fear and everything else sort of by the way. Um, so it always... I sort of lived on the fact that everybody thought I was a hardcore drinker and I thought it was cool for being this hardcore drinker that could drink and drink and drink and drink. But, uh, you know, uh, looking back on us, you know, I felt hit of myself. Um, Is there, was there a moment then what you're, you're probably, were you, were you in the early 20s? You, uh, I, whenever I worked for the Wheeler Paul in that November, 2005, I had to turn 21. Okay. Was there a, was there a moment when you thought to yourself, I'm, I might have a problem here, or were you just were you just happy enough that everyone was going, oh, David's cr- David's good crack on a night out, it's good crack on a night out. Was were you starting to think I'm an alcoholic here, or were you just going like this is just this is just what you do when you're shooting? Yeah, well, I was sort of sometimes trying to be around the people who were drinking like me, so that I didn't seem out of place. Um, there was some guys that would be going out once or twice a week, three times a week, but I would always tried to associate with them being around the ones that were doing it the same as me probably in a way so that it didn't look too bad um, and I did sort of say to myself you know I'm over at uni and enjoying myself I'm young this is what it's all about but uh, you know right, right from the start there like there was there was issues because it was missed exams um, and to cut a long story short you know when I, I spent four years over there and I didn't even graduate you know it was just a full time party and I was pretending in the family that things were going well there's a point then that they were about to book flights and everything else for graduation. It was never going to happen. Um, and then obviously whenever it was coming closer to the time, I had to come clean and say, you know, well, just being over there, spunking the money and wasting, wasting time. Um, can, you, you know, can you give, can you give, I mean, I've always been drunk only a couple of times in my life. Can you give me an idea of what you were drinking in one in one go if you can't it's just drinking the oblivion oh, yeah. you know 90% of the times that I picked up a drink right from the start trying to tell a stop that was it was nearly always the blackout so it was a case of waking up in weird places that I didn't know where I was or waking up in my own bed and wondering how the hell I even got back to my own bed you know um, so never really any sort of control drinking it was always all or nothing you know a lot of times I wanted to go out and maybe just have five or six pints and enjoy the football and enjoy you know that wee bit of talent that you would get from yeah. you know life um, and just be chilled and relaxed but it always seemed to be that whenever I had them a couple of drinks that uh, in my head I was always saying I'll have another one and you'll feel that wee bit more better have another one and you'll feel that wee bit more better again um until it got to the point then whenever I was in blackout and obviously didn't know what I was doing and everything else see waking up and at times swearing never to do it again and thinking that that was it I just swore my life out but it always happened again you know I mean I'm trying to imagine having that conversation with family who were on their way to your graduation it must have been hard well yeah well the way it actually worked was you know, my dad was sort of pressing me, like, when is with dates, and he had sort of found out the different dates that the graduations were on, and 
I just sort of trying to put it off and put it off saying I wasn't sure of the date because I didn't want them booking flights and accommodation and stuff. And then eventually what he done was he rang the university and they had said to him, you know, David's still on the graduation list, but I can't go into any more detail on that. You know, wait data protection, all that there type of stuff. Yeah. But uh and then obviously had to come clean now. Um and as soon as that sort of happened I just booked the booked the flight and I came home. Uh, mm. I had to blame them up the one and all that I had been lying and um, had me going to classes I had been drinking and partying um, basically that you know what they gave me a few extra chances and I didn't take them and, uh, and that was the end of it what was life like when I came back on family well I came back with this idea that I was going to rise up and I was going to cut down drinking and I was going to sort my life out because you know, I got a sister, he's around the same age as me, just nine months younger. And she had got married and ran a house and had a career. And I seen other boys maybe that I went to uni with and people that had, were around the same age that were doing all these types of things, getting families and all that type of stuff. And, you know, I basically was in the same situation I was in four years later is what it was whenever I first went over there. Um, and I came back with a, the idea that I was going to, I was going to change my life around. Um, you know, and that didn't happen. I think I got a job night shift whenever I asked the first up in the nunner in the health and sorry, home leisure department. And uh I lost it there bravely while, but again, like I was working night shifts, but the night shift was off, I was out on the drink and sometimes I was so hungover that I couldn't even go in to the night shift the next day or else I ended up drinking to take the edge of it the next day and then I was drunk and then I didn't go into work and stuff so eventually I got sacked out of that job too yeah and tell us about the rest of your 20s like what what are the what did it look like did you just go from like job to job did you keep trying to tell yourself I'm going to sort it out this time yeah well you know it was just a case of going from job to job and sometimes unemployed and you know what I was staying with my mum and me and my mum were were living in her house and you know, um, I kept thinking to myself, you know, I need to sort this out, I need to rise up, I need to cut back, I need to stop. But my head would always tell me, you know what, next time will be different. And, you know, it was a case of I'll be able to go out and just stick to a few beer and not go on to the Jack Daniels and not go on to the shots and I'll be all right. But, like, every penny I had went and drank as soon as I got money. You know, I was out, I was out going it and drinking. Then I was big borrowing and stealing to continue drinking whenever I ran out of money um, and sometimes you know getting money off dodgy people who had to pay high interest back and then whenever I wasn't working and only getting benefits and stuff like that there you know you're racked with fear and everything else where am I going to get this money from to pay these guys back and you know it was all a bit it was all just a bit mad everything was all over the show like and um, you know it, it was just but it, I always think, look, look, looking back on it, you know, I always, I was always trying to blame something else, someone else, and you know, it was never, it was never my fault. It was maybe to do with mum and dad breaking up. But it was to do with what happened at university. It was to do with an ex that had hurt me, and you know, it was always a case of looking, looking at something to blame as opposed to looking at myself. Yeah, I'm thinking about your family gear. Um, I one of the. Th- 
things that I talk about a lot in this podcast is that I, I obviously, I don't think I would be here today if my family weren't there and being supported me through the lowest points of my life, especially my mom, like especially my mom. Yeah. Um, my mom has carried me through some of the most difficult dark valleys that I hope never to return to. Um, shout out to my mom. Shout out to moms everywhere who have yeah. done a, a great job as uh, supporting their sons and daughters. Um, can you can you try and help us understand sort of where your mom what what's going through your mom's mind or your family's mind when all this is going through at this stage in your life? Was she just was she at you every day? Was she like kind of watching you? Was she upset? Like what well, what what was going on? Yeah, like I always. Whenever I was in the midst of my drinking and stuff, and I would always have thought, you know, somebody that had a drink problem or somebody that was an alcoholic was someone that was laying on the park bench drinking or someone that was homeless and all that type of stuff. And only from getting sober, I realised, you know, if it wasn't for my mum, I probably would have been homeless because every penny I had was going and drink. I wasn't able to look after myself. Um, and nobody else would have helped me in the, the, the way that I was living. Um, you know, so... Were you going out to bars then, or were you sort of drinking on your own, or a mixture of both? A mixture of both. If I had money, I'd go out to the bars, you know. Um, like, I put my mum pretty hell. You know, like, my mum is, is a nervous sort of person. You know, she's a warrior. Um, and I didn't realise, you know, what I was putting her through by disappearing for days on end, having my phone turned off, ignoring calls and texts, all that there type of stuff. You know, my mum ended up in hospital a couple of times, down to expected heart attacks and different things, and me, you know, looking back on like I, I believe a large part of that came on down to the way that I was getting on and the way that I was behaving and the way I was living. And she was up to the high dough or he's sick about me. Um, so yeah, like yourself, you know, we've got my mum to thank massively for sticking by me whenever nobody else really did and always being there for me. Do you know what's do you know what's really interesting for me reconnecting with you like this? You are exactly how I remember you. Like I can remember you at school just being just being this almost like this sports correspondent, almost being the person that I spoke to about the latest match or who never put her on a sign and always very articulate. And you, you come across to me even now as somebody who can articulate really well what's going on. Um and I and, and I'll probably say later on, um, I, I think it's incredibly courageous that you, that you would even bother coming on our little podcast to share your story. Um What's the next stage then? Sort of, so you've, you've been over to Liverpool, you've partied like crazy, you've come home to Antrim with the idea that, look, this is, I think we've all done that. We've all done that at like New Year's Eve or your birthday or an anniversary. We've all kind of gone, well, I'm going to slim down now or I'm going to mm-hmm. stop doing that habit that I want to stop. Um, so you've done that. You've come home to Antrim and found yourself actually know I've, I've, I've went back to where I was what's the next stage after that the next stage probably was then whenever I got to about in the early 30s we just know I have to turn 30 and I tried and tested nearly everything in regards to trying to control and stop drinking and you know moderate my drinking essentially um, I thought that one way of doing this would be then to get my driving licence so it wasn't until this stage I've never even done a lesson, never even had a professional because to me, you know, that was too much money and my money was all going to drink. Um, so I did, I got my professional and I've done my lessons and passed my theory first time and went and done my driving test and passed that first time. I got a wee car and everything else and 
you know, it was good because everybody was like proud of me and thinking that was going to be the well done for getting the first time, right? The making of me, you know, and well, <laughs> <laughs> I've got the, uh, the the license didn't stay too long, as I like the yeah. go to. So essentially, then I thought this was to make it of me, and there was everyone else, and you know, I was proud of myself, and I thought everybody else was proud of me, and I thought, you know, in my head, it was a case of if I was a car driver and I was going to be driving the car, I wouldn't be able to drink late at night. I was going to be driving to work and all this here type of stuff was going through my head. I thought this would be the best way to, to do it. So it happened to be then four months after I got my license. Got my license, I think it was around the end of the year and then that February, then in 2017, which we want six and a half years ago nearly now. Um, I was out the night out down the Legion. My brother was there and a couple of his friends. I remember being out. And I remember walking home from the bar with my brother's friend. Um, and then I came, went into my mum's house, and I don't remember anything after that. And the next thing that I did, that I did remember, was waking up in the police cell, and, and not knowing why I was there. Well, and that was scary, because I was a little busy in a blackout, and I had no idea what I had done the last time I had. I was sitting at mum's kitchen table, having a drink. Um, and I was nearly too scared during the buzzer on the cell door. They actually asked what I had done. Um... But uh, finally, somebody came down to the cell and they said, I think they just were looking in the, see if it was okay or whatever. And I just said, what, Why am I here? What have I done? Um, and they had said to me that it has been pulled over for, for drink driving. Um, Harley was driving with no lights, no lights on at half four in the morning on the uh, out near the Maxwell station. Um, and I remember saying was anybody hurt or anything like that and thankfully the, the word to seen the lights off to seen the R plate pulled me over and I was well over the limit I think it was three and a half times over the limit so um, you know they let me out of this they let me out of the sales end the next day with a court date or obviously drink driving and you know my my head was scrambled at that point I was like you know everybody was maybe starting to be thinking that I was changing and I was going to get my life together and now I'm going to in the paper or whatever and everybody's going to have to know that you know we've got my driving license and it's and it's gone four months later and the first my head was fr- was was fried so the first thing that I thought to do was it was about 10 o'clock in the morning and I went up into the bar that I knew was open early in the town I just sat and started drinking fog and Jack Daniels and shots and everything else just to try and blot it all out you know because that for me that's that's what that's what drink was that's what alcohol was good for you know, it was always a case of, you know, bad times and good times, particularly bad times, you know, it was a way of escaping, you know, sort of, uh, and running away. Looking back on it, you know, it's 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 running away from us, you should not dealing with them. But anyway, I, I, I went home from the bar that night, and I was waking myself, how am I going to tell my family and everyone else? And I think um, I woke up the next morning, and I, I just, I just couldn't do it anymore, you know. My head was fried, my mental health had gone down the drain. Physically, I wasn't well, you know, and the months sort of leading up that to you, it sort of, the times we'd thrown up blood and everything else, and, you know, I said to myself, something needs to be done here, I just can't live like this anymore. It was either a case of trying to do something about it or, you know, kill myself, really, because I, I just couldn't live the way I was living anymore. Now, that was the, the point where I needed something had to change. Um, and what, what I did do was I just looked on the um, Google 
and what a what a Google has helped to stop during them. Um, and AA alcoholic songs came up, and thankfully from that morning up until today, one day at a time, you know, I haven't had to have another drink. Wow. So that's really oh, that that's powerful. Like you, you googled that, and what was it like going to air? It was scary, you know. I can actually remember. I still have my driving license at this time because obviously the court dates a few weeks later. So I remember it was a Greystone Community Centre, um, and I remember driving up and sitting in the car park outside, and I remember always remember what came into my head. It was a case of. I was so nervous and so scared, but I remember thinking to myself, I had a couple of drinks in me. You know, I'd be able to walk in there, no problem. Because that's what alcohol did for me too. You know, I was always self-aware, low self-esteem, full of fears, irrational fears. Um, and for me, you know, alcohol gave me that that confidence to be able to do stuff that I didn't particularly feel comfortable doing. Um, and at that moment, I wished I had a couple of drinks so that I would have had the confidence to walk in there. I, I nearly did drive away but I knew I had to I knew I had to do something and I knew I had to force myself to walk in there um, and I did you know and it was obviously the best decision that I ever had ever made can you can you I, I, I mean as somebody who's naive can you talk me through goes on in there is it a case of is it just a case of being rawly honest about why you drink to start off with do you need to just start there yeah well I say that an alcoholic synonymous the only requirement for the membership or any requirement for you to want to go there is a desire to stop drinking so you know it's nobody's ever going to tell anybody else they're an alcoholic or they've got a drink problem it's up to you to decide that yourself you know and I learned in there basically that you know I understood I got to realise that it wasn't only me that that was the way that it was. There was people that, that, that were just like me. You know, I was thinking that, you know, I was on my own and dealing with what I was dealing with in my life and the way that I was drinking and everything else. But whenever I went in there, I realised, you know, that there's a lot of people that that, that have the same issues because for me, an alcoholic at that time was someone that was drinking seven days a week, 24 hours a day, as I said the earlier, sitting on a park bench. But, you know, there's so many different types of an alcoholic. Um... You know, for me, when I would have said, you know, it's about not being able to control your drinking, I knew that I was in the right place because from my first drink and my last drink, and all then 15 years, whenever it was a drinking, you know, I was never able to, was never able to control it. But back to just what you said there about the AA meetings, it's it's all just, you know, it's it's everybody in there, everybody in there, you know, has, has had a problem with alcohol or has a problem with alcohol. So essentially, you know, it's just about helping each other. Um, being there to listen to one another um, there's a big book there's a 12 step program of recovery that's not just in AA but it's in a lot of different addictions um, you know and for me you know what that's that totally saved my life because you know what enables you to be able to look back on your past um, see see where you went wrong try and make amends for it but not to dwell too much on the past but also you know not to look too much into the future either and just live a day at a time because if I was to look too much back onto the past the guilt would probably kill me but at the same time if I look too much into the future the fear would, would, would overcome me whereas you know if I just try and focus 
one day at a time and control what I can control. And that day then it enables me to be able to, you know, live day to day. Was there a point in being in the AA where you were thinking, I work, this is working. I feel different. I don't yeah. drink. From the first, like the first night that I did, that I went to, I walked out of it with like the most incredible high that, uh, you know, that probably that I always taste for drink. You know, that first time that I drank, you know, it was like I had found my medication for life. You know, all the worries and fears and everything else that I don't do and I had this confidence that came out of nowhere. And all the years that I drank, that's all I wanted to feel. And whenever I, whenever I, I, I came out that first AA meeting, I had hope, you know, and, and, and hope it's probably the biggest thing. I had hope that maybe it was in the right place and it would, might be okay because I heard stories in there from people who had similar stories to me, but they were sitting there with um, 15, 20 years of sobriety behind them. Um, and then I thought to myself, you know, well, if they can do it, then maybe I can do it too. And that's sort of what, what kept me going back um, to the meetings initially. How long do you go for? Well, it's sort of like a life, a, a lifelong thing. You know, it's nobody's forced to go any longer than they want to. But it's always a good place to go and you know uh, remember sort of maybe what it was like whenever you were you were drinking. And it's also good because like the first day I walked in there, there was people there to help me. You know, um, so it's it's always good then to sometimes be able to repay that back and be there to help someone that's really coming through the door for their first time in the same situation that I was in six and a half years ago. Um, unfortunately, I haven't really been to as many meetings recently as what I've been going to for the first lot of years, just down to work and um, hours and working away from home and stuff like that there, but still something that I still go to now and again, and it's something that I'd like to get into more again because, you know, f- to me, it's uh, it's an incredible fellowship. Do you, did you feel like you are almost reborn? Whenever you started your pathway of being sober, did you did you just find that you had more money you thought you had? You had time to do different things. Did you like what was life like as you started to see the big ship turning? Yeah, well, it took it took a wee while to get to get used to it. I was going to quite a lot of meetings just to sort of fill the time as well. Because to me, you know, everything in my life centered around alcohol. You know, I was watching the football, but always people called the beers. Or not a couple of beers, but it would always start off a couple of beers. And, you know, to me, whenever I had a, even thought in the past about maybe giving up drink, I always thought, well, what the hell would I do with, with my time? Because, you know, that's really all, all, all I did. So, um, you know, it was... I just had this sort of... It, it was a big change because I obviously had to start asso- stop associating with the ones that I was associating with at that time. Because I knew that if I had us kept hanging away with the same people who were living similar way to me, then I would probably end up going back, going back down it. So I tried to keep in with the right people and people who, you know, were going to these meetings and and were sober for long periods of time and spend my time around them. Um, and at that time, I started to, I joined the gym, and one of the big things that really helped me was throughout the years of the drinking and I mentioned earlier with the cricket. Um. A lot of Saturday mornings I wasn't turning up. I was turning up drunk. And I got loads of chances in the cricket club and I got told to not come back essentially. Because I let the thing down in the site and the club down too many times. So one of the big things that helped me was, you know, whenever one of the guys in the cricket found out that I had stopped drinking, 
they asked me if they didn't want to come back. Um, you know, well, that that was really good because it was sort of coming into the summer, and you know, it was a good way to end the film. I think because I could go and play practice cricket and play cricket at the weekends, and you know, I really enjoyed getting back into that. Um, yeah. So what's what's David's things life look like in twenty twenty three? Well, what are you doing with your time? Like, are you are you the top cricketer in Antrim now? Or? No, <laughs> not not <laughs> not quite. Um, things of you know. They talk about NAA about always be on your wildest dreams, and for me, you know, that's I would always have thought that was about having a big car and a, a big fancy house and and all that there type of stuff. But I have a degree of contentment in my own mind, you know, which is the for me the most important thing, you know, to be able to to live inside your own head and to be sometimes happy just to sit and chill out on your own, um, you know, because with alcohol, I was using it as a medicine to make me feel better, but at the same time. You know, you were having that the uh fears and the insecurities and the everything else that was come up from hangovers and all that there type of stuff. Because in the day, we all know what the said the present. Um, but you know, today, you know, we've got a good job that I'm pretty good at. I've I've got good relationships with my family today. You know, my mum can sleep in her bed easy at night, not having to worry where I uh, what I'm doing. You know, and got a good relationship with my dad me and him to go over to Liverpool matches regularly and go to even over to watch going over to watch Madrid and we've been over to watch matches in, in Germany as well and you know we'll get to be a part of my nephews and nieces lives you know and I'm I'm trusted today and I'm reliable today um, you know and those are the only things that I could have dreamt of being whenever whenever I was drinking um, you know and got my driving back after I had lost it which is which is obviously a big a big positive and you know, um, you know, for me, it's it's just been. I would never have imagined, like, whenever I first walked through the door at AA, that I would feel the way that I feel and and live the life that I live. You know, seven, six and a half, seven years later. Um, but for me, the most important thing and and what actually, um, what about the change was asking for help. You know, for me, that was the biggest thing. Um, is having the courage to ask for help it's, it's definitely not a weakness you know I couldn't do it on my own I tried everything in my power to do it on my own and if anything was making things worse but whenever I reached out and asked for help you know that was the first step for me in in recovery you mentioned sort of off off air that you shared in AA shared your story what was that what was that like for you yeah, so basically after you've been sober for a few months, you can then get up and share your story. Um, you can ask to do a chair, that's what it's called. And, you know, for me, I was, I was pure nerve-wracking. You know, I could never have imagined doing something like that there in front of a crowd of people. Um, and I was nervous and, and everything else, but I got through it. Um, so, you know, not only is AA good for always helping you stay away from the drink one day at a time, but it's a, it's all about more so about about your mind and about you know being able to stay away from the drink but also to be able to work on why you drink and also being able to work on you know sorting out the issues in your head because there's a good guy that I've been listening to quite a bit I'm not sure exactly how to say his surname but Gabe Wormate or Gabe Wormate and he would always say not why the addiction but why the pain you know so there's usually for me this is only my opinion it's nobody else's for me there's usually a reason why why somebody's addicted to some degree, and um, there's some sort of pain that 
you know, for me, an addiction is, you know, a pain of in, inside yourself and you're trying to deal with it with something out of yourself, whether that be drugs, alcohol, sex, shopping, you know, gambling, any of those types of things. To me, I've probably been nearly addicted to them all and to me, it was me trying to fix something inside of me, something outside of me, whereas I kind of realised, you know, it needs, the work needs to be done inside. Can I ask you, David, um, I obviously work in a school, and I work in Park Hall. Um, can I ask you to speak a word to a teenager who's maybe started down the road when it comes to alcohol? They've realised that it can take the edge off at times, and maybe they're listening and they're going, I don't know what he's talking about. Makes me feel better. Yeah. Would you be able to give a quick word of advice after what you've been through yeah. to the 14-year-old in Antrim who spend their pocket money on vodka because it takes the edge off and makes them feel better for a short period of time. What would you say to them? Yeah. Well, first, I'll just say, like, you know, I don't want to say that alcohol, like, for me, looking back on alcohol, there was a lot of good times to you. You know, it wasn't all dim and gloom. I had some good laughs and some good times. And I envy the person that can go out and have those few drinks and leave it at a few drinks you know for me I would love to be able to do that the fact of the matter is I tried that for all them years and I couldn't do that you know it quickly came apart to me that you know I just wasn't able to drink like a normal person or have a controlled drink but what I would say to those to those people that you know were maybe trying to take the edge of things is just to be very 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 careful you know um, and maybe realise the early signs that you may have a problem with alcohol and the most important thing is you know the control of alcohol if you can't control your alcohol intake and it starts to become a problem and like who knows if I had a one in the AA room at 19, 20 years of age I don't know if I would have got sober I don't know if I would have been ready or anything like that there at the time but in there I was able to get an education around alcoholism not just the body but the way that it affects the mind and all that too so um, but yeah, as, as I was saying just earlier as well, is if you think you might have had any type of issue with alcohol, or you think it's maybe getting out of control in any type of way, then you know, talk to someone. You know, talk to someone about it. Um, and 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 try and get some advice about it because you know, people. I see people that have died with this disease of alcoholism that are very very young people. Very, very good people, you know, um, and it's got a bold of them, you know. For me, I'm one of the lucky ones that been able to escape it up until today. But there's a lot of people who haven't been able to do that for one reason or another, and there's so many lives wasted and lost, you know, from people getting addicted to alcohol. Um, so I wouldn't want to see any young people ruining their lives or losing their lives. Down the alcohol, um, so yeah, if there's any any signs whatsoever of an issue with it, and I would always recommend to reach out and, and talk to somebody, um, seek a wee bit of help. Bro, um, there are two other people in this room. People are listening will know that, but I I know them pretty well, and they agree with what I'm about to say. I I almost want to ask you a question to you. Do you have any idea? Do you have any idea how powerful your story is? Because I mean, that, that is genuine. I, I don't know if it's because I know you, but it's genuinely one of the most powerful stories I've ever heard that you've just said. 
I mean, I mean, it genuinely just raw, honest. Somebody from a town that I grew up with to hear that is is there's just serious power in that. I don't I don't know what's going on in your head coming here to share your story. I don't I don't, I don't even want to say to you, do you know what, David? You should share your story more often because maybe you're going to say to me, actually, it was too difficult to come here and do this. I wouldn't fancy doing that again. But I, but I counted a privilege that you've shared that story with me and Lee and Karen. Like, oh, and I know you ever listen to our podcast because I think. I mean, you might think this is cheesy as, man, but I, and I'm thinking Istanbul with your life, like, I'm thinking of the match, I'm thinking of being 3-0 down, then then buried, and then I'm thinking of the comeback. I mean, that, that if your life was a football match, that's, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking there was a point in that story where I'm going, Flip, if he wasn't just sitting here, I, I would thought he might be another statistic to alcohol, that you were 3-0 down, came back to 3-3 and won penalties. Like, it's just, it's an incredible story. And... I think I think it's so important that, that you shared throughout it why you didn't. Not just the classic I wanted to go and party, but I mean you've articulated there to us that there was a pain that alcohol took away. And I think you said quite articulately again that it took the pain away only for a period of time because you woke up the next day or you woke up wherever you were and you had to start medicating again. So I, I mean, if if you were didn't find it too difficult, if I were you, I would, I I would share my story. If it's not too difficult, did you find it difficult to come here to share your story? Um, well, yeah, I was obviously nervous. You know, it's um, first time I've done something like this. I've obviously spoke about my problems with alcohol before, but it's been within AA and within fellow people. You know, that have that have problems with alcohol, but you know, I just been very. Very lucky, you know, the support network that was there for me with NAA and also the support that I have from my family and every everything else, you know, I wouldn't have been able to do, to do it without them. And obviously, as I said, the 12 step recovery program in AA as well. Um, and I, and I just, you know, been, I, I feel very lucky that I've been able to, to escape that. But, you know, for me, it's it's not just something that you recover from and then that's it, you get to go about your life. It's it's something that you know I try and work on and and try and and things like this here help me too. But like tonight because I I remember and and I look back and I'm able to remember what it was like back then, and then that you know says to me like that's definitely not somewhere that I ever want to go back to because the mental turmoil and not only that I mean have but you know you don't really realize at the time but it's a harm that you're doing that there's a ripple effect you know. The ripple effect affects everyone that, that cares about you too. Um, and at the time, you're completely oblivious to that. Um, so, you know, not only would I do not want to wreck me with a knife, but I wouldn't want to put my family through that again. Do you find it? Do you find it hard to be in that atmosphere now? Um, for a while, yeah. I would have. You mean you mean a drink? Cricket club, football sort of places. For a while, I did, yeah. Like, I went away on a couple of wee trips abroad with my. But with that, the football matches and stuff over the last few years, but I'm only, I went to Sunny Beach there in Bulgaria, start of September, and that was the first sort of proper holiday that I went on. Um, but it's it's weird, you know. It's um, not really something like to me. It's so ingrained in my head that you know I spent 15 years trying to control my drinking. I know where the cab control it, and I know where those couple of drinks would lead to. You know, so I wonder, sort of, no illusion, think that it might be different because. 
there's no reason why it would be different even for me once I take that drink there's such an overwhelming craving for me to continue drinking you know that once I start I just need more and more and more and more and more um, and you know I never want to come to a day where I think that I can I can maybe have a couple because it's definitely not worth worth the risk um, to what I could lose um, but yeah how long have you been sober now? Um, six and a half years six and a half years so yeah it's 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 uh, to me I can sort of sit around alcohol now and not really be be faced by it you know and sometimes whenever you see people periodically drunk you're sort of glad as well like you're not drinking anymore and you sort of think to yourself that me that's the sort of way that I was if not worse you know um, but uh, you know it's, it's it's just nice to wake up in a clean fresh bed knowing what I done last night knowing that I'm able to get up and go to work because you know in all those years that that, that I drank I didn't have the freedom you know the answer give me a freedom that I can do what I want when I want whenever I was caught in the midst of the drinking you know I was basically a slave to the alcohol and not dictated you know um, the way that I, the way that I lived and what I done because I always had these good intentions you know always remember to being, being drunk and being outside bars and talking to some of the maybe security who were gym owners or gym goers and said I ain't coming to join on Monday morning you know I need to sort my life out but it, it never happened um, well, only from being so aware of being able to actually do the things in life that that I've been able that that, that I've always wanted to do. Um, but there's still a, few, a lot, you know, there's still a lot of things that I that I want to achieve in life, and but uh, it's all one day at a time. As I said, I'm just very grateful and been very fortunate that I'm able to sit here on a Sunday night and and talk to you about the past. Can I can I ask the final question? I think it's fascinated me. From the moment in your story where you said when you'd been caught by the police when you were in the cell and then you just woke up one day and you said, I don't want to do this anymore. That that fascinates me. That fascinates me. And I guess I want to sort of stand in your shoes and wonder I'm wondering why 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 then? Why did why did you go, I wanna stop now? I I I actually don't really even have the answer to that you know perhaps it was just my rock bottom you know the, 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 the point where I just mentally couldn't couldn't go on anymore the way that I was living um, you know I just at that point just couldn't see a, a way out um, by doing things my way and I knew then that you know there was no harm in reaching out I knew I couldn't do it, so I needed to ask somebody else if they really knew how to do it. Um, and that's and, and, and that's how I ended up, you know, going to the first AA meeting. But uh, looking back on that on that night, you know, it was it was a case of I shouldn't I wasn't even meant to be going out that night. So a whole lot of different things went. Um, so that I ended up that going out, and to me, I believe it was it was meant to be. You know, at that time coming out of the police cell. I thought that was the worst moment of my life, but to me it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me was getting caught by the police, um, because it was the the moment that you know that broke the rather broke the camel's back, so to speak, and that decided, you know, and and 
for who I, I just want to say thanks um, for coming and sharing your story because the courage it takes to um, share the story and go and take us by the hand through some of the darkest moments in your life. I'm, I'm so thankful for that day, that, you, that night that you decided to um, give up and so many of the things that you have described and shared are themes that we want to push forward in this podcast, like reaching out to somebody, like realizing maybe you can't do it on your own. Even just to hear your story since you've been sober and how many good things have happened in your life, we would say often in this podcast that like mental illness is not the end of your story and it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be the end of your story. There's still so much more that can happen. The best is yet to come in your life and we just believe that for you, man, and I, I'm just grateful that you came on and I just want to say to anybody who's been listening tonight, if you have any issues with um, any sort of substance abuse or alcoholism, Please reach out and speak to somebody. Please, you've heard it from, as I've said, yeah, probably one of the most powerful stories I've heard this year, if not ever. Um, please reach out and speak to somebody. There are plenty of charities and agencies out there for you to speak to, but please hear what David said tonight. And I just want to thank him for uh, coming on. And I hope you have found this podcast to be as powerful as it's been for me to interview and hear David's story. Thank you.